0: Well, hello, John. It's another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. You and I have made it back from uh, Oshkosh, and I think we need to recap our little adventure there. It was, uh, it was a long week. It was an interesting week. And, of course, uh, wasn't a record breaker, but it was close. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you about what you liked and didn't like now that we're back into air show season.
1: Let's hope it holds. Let's hope it holds. That was uh, quite an adventure. So I didn't think they were going to break any records with the attendance because it just didn't seem like it was that crowded, at least Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday.
0: Yeah, Uh, they they definitely got some numbers because it was, I think, the third largest at 630,000 plus. So it was a pretty big crowd. It was just that, like you said, it didn't feel crowded and I've been there when we've been in the record breakers and, um, and this just didn't have that same feeling. Oh, it didn't.
1: Although there was a lot of airplanes that flew in for it, uh, just people flying their their general aviation airplanes in, uh, a lot of people came in early too.
0: Absolutely. Yep. They did have a lot of airplanes, well over 10,000 as usual. Um, and, uh, you and I probably saw a good majority of them.
1: Yeah. And of course, then we got to see hundreds of them take off because a tornado was predict, <coughs> excuse me, was predicted and, uh, many people got out of town with their airplanes and then could come back again a day later. So fortunately the tornado didn't hit in Oshkosh, it hit, uh, further west. It would not have been a pretty picture if it if it came in through Gosh Gosh.
0: Well, we were fortunate enough to uh, to hang out at one of our sponsors, Avemco Insurance. Uh, it was great to see Marcy and Marcy and the rest of the gang there. Um, we also all got to meet a number of uh, of our listeners and of course Avemco insured folks, and it was just a, a great. Opportunity to get the uh, the name of the show out and uh, and actually meet the people that are listening to the show. So we we definitely do appreciate that, and of course we definitely appreciate their sponsorship. And I know that uh, you're going to tell us about Avemco, John.
1: Yes. So all of you out there that have an airplane that you need Howland and liability insurance, or if you're a flight instructor that needs insurance, or anybody in general aviation that needs uh in insurance policy. Get a hold of Avemco. You can reach them on 8-879-0389. Again, 8-879-0389. And if you tell them you listen to this program, you'll get a five percent discount. And I heard them quoting that right there as we were in the booth. Yep. And in the quiet times people uh were getting quotes on the airplanes. And uh a, they were a pretty knowledgeable group, you know. I've said it on here before, uh, but I listened to those people when they were talking aviation with people, even some that weren't looking for insurance. Yep. And boy, really they're pretty knowledgeable. I was uh, very impressed. Yeah, and of course. And,
0: I, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that's that's really why, if you're shopping insurance, they're the ones to talk to. They're not a broker. They're actually you're talking to the insurer, insurance company. So you're going to be talking to the people that are going to eventually write the policy. They're going to be able to answer every question. And one of the things that I've been seeing, John, especially in social media um, when guys are shopping for insurance, because I belong to a number of the type groups that are on Facebook. And when I see somebody query about, you know, insurance and that kind of stuff, or somebody that just bought an airplane is looking for insurance, of course, I always respond that they should check out a Vemco. And there, of course, are a number of brokers out there. And everybody says, oh, yeah, you got to call my guy. He's going to give you the lowest price. Yeah, but again, you get what you pay for. And I think that if you call a Vemco and you tell them, hey, I've got a quote from so-and-so or I've got this quote and that quote, they'll tell you what it's going to cover and definitely what it isn't going to cover. Because if the price is too good to be true, then, you know, you probably should move on because it's probably too good to be true.
1: You know, I I did eavesdrop on one conversation and I missed, admittedly, I missed a good portion of it, but it was somebody who was not insured with a Memco that had a problem and it was definitely over the limits of of the coverage. And apparently this individual did not ask his insurance agent about what, exactly what was covered and what wasn't covered because uh, when he needed it, he wasn't covered on this little narrow sliver of the insurance envelope. And uh, that's how they, that's how they keep their rates down. If you exclude it. I mean, yeah. I see that Massachusetts on automobile insurance, the sky high yeah, and they trim it around the edges. I, I know a friend of mine who has uh, a glass break breakage on his car forever. and he, and he went with one of these newer insurance companies. They you know they're going to save you 90% of you and all that. And uh, he had a broken windshield and it wasn't covered. Yeah. You know, he asked the question, where, what are the limits of my coverage? So it's, uh, it's important. And I heard uh, Vemco when talking to other people about their policy. And they wrote a number of policies while we were at the booth. Yeah, yeah they did. And, and uh, uh, I heard them clearly explaining. What, you, what are your limits? You know, you're not going to have any coverage for this or, you know, you're not going to have any coverage for that. So it was it was uh, an eye opener for me because yeah. i have not dealt in that area at all.
0: And, and again, it's like anything else, car insurance, house insurance or anything else. People are always trying to shop the bare bones. Well, give me the most for less. Well, again, when it comes to an airplane, there are so many exclusions. And of course, there are, there are a number of add-ons as well. And, and you really have to ask those questions like you were talking about. They they aren't going to pull any punches. I mean, we were there. We had an opportunity to chat with a number of them. And we had a number of uh, opportunities to chat with, uh, with some of their insured. And they keep coming back. I keep coming back because... They're straight with me. I know what, what's going to be covered. And again, as I've talked about in the past on these shows, uh, they were very good to me when I had a prop strike. Um, I wanted to make sure that it was fully overhauled. That is, I, want, I just didn't want them uh, doing a top or something like that. I wanted the case split. I wanted to make sure the crank was okay. And, um, and they had no problem with working with me to make that all happen. And I mean, that's what it's all about. Uh, I know that yeah, you're going to get some good numbers, and of course, you know, broker is going to give you the the best numbers that you know will get your business. But again, you don't know <laughs> what you're not going to get for that thirteen hundred or fifteen hundred or even two thousand dollars a year. It may not be the coverage that you think it is.
1: Yes, and you know, they, an, another th- observation that I was surprised with is that Vemco in their office. They have a simulator.
0: I think that's so cool.
1: I mean, so everybody gets to fly to simulator. Anybody that comes in that's not a pilot, they fly to simulator so they understand all the terms. And, uh, you know, just a good basic understanding of flying so that when they talk to uh, potential customers, they can understand what they're being, uh, being told.
0: Yeah. Yep. And that's that's how they're staying current in aviation. So um, they are definitely one to check out. So again, if you are shopping for insurance, whether it's hull insurance, flight instructor insurance, uh, renter insurance, if you're uh, renting through a flight school, because again, we talked about that while we were there with them. And and of course, you know, there's, a, and that's going to be one of the, the things that you and I are going to talk about after we talk about Oshkosh today. And that is the fact that we um, over a two-week period, had ten flight instruction-related accidents. Ten in a two-week period. What is going on with flight instruction? Well, you and I are going to talk about that, but uh, it's just uh, I, it's it's unbelievable. I sit on the board of directors at the National Association of Flight Instructors, and uh, of course, uh, that's going to be a topic of discussion. Um, and, and again. What's going on? I, I'm I'm heading down to Embry Riddle again this time in Prescott. I'm going to be talking to uh, their flight instructors, and I'm um, hoping that maybe we can get some answers just from a, an outside flight school type perspective because uh, that accident rate is 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 unacceptable, and um, and so hopefully uh, we may be able to get some answers. I'm not sure the NTSB is going to get those answers uh, because. Uh, they tend to do things in isolation with each of these cases and don't look, look for trends. I'm looking for trends right now.
1: You know, I, I really wish they would get out. That's a perfect example of what we've been saying uh, about them not getting out there. Because those 10 accidents would probably uh, benefit the industry greatly if the NTSB would treat it as a major investigation and bring yeah. in a full team. Bring the human factors team and bring all the other specialties in to take a look at these accidents to see if there's something under the surface. Yeah. You know, instead of like what you say all the time is uh, the most obvious cause. Well, let's look because I think there must, there has to be something more at, at play here that is causing all these accidents more than just all of a sudden everybody's jumping back in airplanes and flying.
0: And it's and it is one of those things, John. Where just the ones that uh, that I those ten that I've been talking about, um, they are a loss of control. Well, it's apparent that that working group that was supposed to try and identify those <laughs> those solutions to these loss control accidents. How do you have ten instructional accidents, uh, you know, with a result of a loss or as a result of a loss control? Apparently, something's not working. Whether it's whatever recommendations they think they're making, or they're hoping that another piece of equipment's going to be put on an airplane. And I had this discussion when we were in Oshkosh with a variety of different people. I don't care what you put on an airplane. You can put, you know, an angle of attack indicator. You can put all of the, the greatest whiz bang, you know, electronic equipment and gizmos on your airplane. We're still going to have lost control. It's up to the human that's operating those flight controls and the decisions that they make based on the best available information that's going to prevent these loss of control accidents. It's flying the airplane, being a pilot. It's technique. It's finesse. It's, of course, having situational awareness. Uh, I don't care. You can have an AOA um, on your your aircraft, an AOA uh, indicator on your aircraft, But again, if you're looking out the window and you're making that base to final turn and that thing, even if it's squawking at you, but you're trying to horse it around because you overshot final and you're trying to salvage a bad situation, that thing will be squawking all the way into the ground because you've lost control of the airplane at a low altitude. I just worked one of those accidents. I just had to write an expert paper about a lost control type accident. And again, I mean, flying a Cirrus, you know, yanking and banking, and, and again, it's, it's all about operational discipline. And, and I think that when we start dissecting some of these instructional accidents, we're gonna see that there was a loss of operational discipline, whether it's by the student, flight instructor, or a combination of both. And, and that's a real big concern for me. And it should be a big concern, not only for the NTSB, but for the industry, because as flight instruction is ramping up uh, because of this so-called pilot shortage, of course, you know, we got the skies filled with uh, with students and uh, flight instructors and we cannot have an accident rate like this.
1: No, this is terrible. In fact, it's not just the pilot side. It's across the whole board with accidents. I mean, if you're looking, you know, I was looking at last year's statistics and it's a great year across the board. Helicopters, general aviation, all right, because the flying was down. Yeah, the act- were, were 40, 50 percent below what they were in 19. All right, Now we're coming back and we got rusty pilots going out there and attempting to fly, uh, thinking they can jump right back into the airplane after having not flown for quite a while. Uh, you know that's just those skills get lost. Those yeah. skills get lost. And the accident rate that the, uh, the number of accidents I see posted that have occurred, they're just going up like crazy, multiples yeah. a week, multiples in a week. I mean, we always had, you know, we've we've had twelve hundred to fifteen hundred accidents consistently in the last several years, and we're on pace right now to to beat that.
0: Yeah, no, so it's, it's uh, it it is, and and again, you know, it it all is about operational discipline. I had the opportunity because I was working in the Naffy tent a little bit and attended a number of presentations. And I, I was talking to a couple of brand new flight instructors and they, they aren't in their early 20s. These uh, these guys are in their mid to late 30s. Uh, they, they've been flying, they decided to get a flight instructor certificate. And one of the questions that was posed to them is one, why'd you get a flight instructor certificate? Especially since they don't intend to be professional flight instructors, they wanted to of course, add to their knowledge base and have uh, the ability to give flight instruction if the, um, if the opportunity arises. But one of the things that uh, I found quite interesting is, you know, they were very conscientious in their answers, but in talking with them, like talking with a a lot of flight instructors uh, that I meet, and that is, it's all about creating that operational discipline early on. I've said it before, I'll say it again. And that is, I can tell a sloppy flight instructor in five minutes. All I have to do is watch them. If they're unorganized on the ground, they really you know, are scatterbrained, they, they're doing things haphazardly, it's not very systematic, it's not very organized. If they're like that on the ground, they're gonna be like that in the airplane. And you can't be like that in the airplane. And if you are like that in the airplane, that's going to transfer to the student. And now the student is going to be sloppy and unorganized. And again, these are the kinds of things that lead to distractions and complacency and a, and a variety of other human factors that results in bad things happening, whether it's single pilot operation or, of course, a flight instruction environment. Yeah,
1: I, I talked to a number of people about you know my pet peeves: pre-planning and pre-flights. And uh, to a person, they all agreed. And to a person, they all said that they know and see fellow pilots in that locations that do a, a not a stellar job in those two areas. Of course, they never said they were one of those. Yeah. And <laughs> Yeah. But, but you know, lead you to question some of that. But in any event. I mean, it's a package. Yeah. It's a process. The process starts before you get in the airplane. Maybe even before you leave your house the day yeah. before, looking at the weather, making a decision whether it might look really bad tomorrow. Let's, let's start thinking about changing tomorrow, you yeah. know, and then getting out there and looking at your airplane, right? They're yeah. just not doing it. I was at an airport this morning briefly. And I just saw one guy walking around his airplane, but he didn't leave. So I don't know if, if uh, he was, that was his pre-flight or if he was just out there, but if that was his pre-flight, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't worth much.
0: Well, so I definitely, I want to touch on pre-flight stuff at the, uh, at the end of this show, but I want to get back to, um, to our Oshkosh. What was, what was the most impressive thing that you saw at Oshkosh this year?
1: The one that got my attention uh, early on and c- carried it was the Orbis, the flying eye hospital, yeah. actually eyes, nice. but uh, I went on, and that, that airplane had a little extra attraction for me because that used to be, uh, a one Oh two TV for TF trans international airlines, later trans America. And that used to be the airplane. I worked on that airplane. Oh. I worked for them. And, uh, so that had a little added benefit and I spent, uh, quite a bit of time with the maintenance guys and the DO for that operation, just sitting around talking about what they do, where they've been. And, uh, you know, just all about the operation. I was very interested in it. I have been in that airplane before because it is a former FedEx airplane as well. And the mechanics that work on it are former FedEx mechanics. Mm. They retire FedEx and they now fly around the world with the airplane taking care of uh, people. So it was quite interesting to see that process because the interior on this particular airplane today, it's uh, modular. So it's, everything is on pallets. Mm. So it all fits together. So they don't need an STC to change an operating room out or to change something uh, in one of the suites that are on the airplane for doing medical procedures. So that was a change from uh, the last time I was on that airplane. So oh, it's, it, quite interesting i enjoyed the heck out of that well i wonder
0: why your fingerprints were all over that airplane
1: yeah and i left some money to support the operation as well oh good yeah, no, they run a... A... go ahead john all right so uh, of course it's always the military airplanes to get a lot of attention
0: yeah
1: you know so and the, and we had an a10 flying around doing crazy things and as well as some uh, uh, other airplanes from the National Guard, and uh, it, it's just always a thrill to see the airplanes and and then go down the the uh, down the flight line where all the warbirds, are, all the old airplanes, all the way back to uh, uh, to the First World War. Actually, I mean they're all there. Yeah. So that was that was quite interesting. Just talking to all those guys, you know. And of course the Arab the the Paddy Wagstaffs of the world are always interesting to talk yeah. to. You know, just uh, and I quickly remembered uh, I was reminded of our little trip with Bob Hoover where, you know, people are trying to yeah. replicate that little trick he did with the, the glass of water on the glass shield, but uh, that he had that down to a science. We saw it and we did the parabolic with him. And yeah, well, I still tell people, first off, I usually started off with. You know how quiet it is at 6,500 feet with zero airspeed, <laughs> zero and, yeah. and this. Uh, and then to come in and do a dead stick landing and not, you know, as a passenger, not feel uncomfortable. Yeah. That man was such a flyer, such yeah. a flyer. Yeah. I, that's a memory that I'm going to have. I'll carry that one right to my
0: grave. Well, you know, that's that's what operational discipline, technique, and finesse. I mean, that man had it all and it was all, you know, just naturally ingrained in the way he flew that airplane. And, um, and, and that's what made him so good is, uh, is the fact that he didn't waver from it. And we've seen that. I mean, you know, Sean Tucker and, and Patty and Mike Goulian, they're all friends. And they are, I mean, when it comes to, to flying their aircraft, they are very structured, very disciplined. It's operational discipline. They don't waver from it. They don't shortcut the process. They don't adjust for trying to make something happen when they know they can. I had that conversation uh, with, uh, with Mike Goulian because we uh, sit on the uh, Founders Innovation Award judging panel. And we had a brief conversation about that. And we were talking about his aerobatics. And he said, look, if it's not working out, I just abandon it. I'm not going to try and make something out of nothing and and i know that's the philosophy of uh, of you know the majority of these airshow performers but where the accidents of course occur is when somebody's trying to make something out of nothing because you know that's what they were supposed to do well i don't care if they were supposed to do it if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out i mean the guys on the ground the people on the ground the audience they don't know any different i mean they're watching that airplane and okay so you miss a maneuver or whatever um, you want to come back and be able to do it again the next day. <laughs> you don't want to be uh, a smoking hole. And uh, we lost um, uh, a friend of the air show uh, group uh, with, uh, with Dale Snodgrass uh, he crashed an airplane in Idaho. And um, you know, it wasn't a complicated airplane, but uh, there's a video circulating on the internet and Dale, Dale was the man, Dale was the epitome of that military demo pilot. You know, he was an F5, uh, F-14 F um, pilot. He's uh, very well known and very famous for uh, some of the maneuvers he performed um, in that F-14. Uh, everybody and their mother knew him. And uh, and the, the same community was extremely shocked when they found out that he was killed in a uh, Sierra Marchetti. Um, not the jet, but uh, a single engine propeller airplane on takeoff the airplane took off went straight up winged over and crashed right on the airport and it was a tragic loss and and again no one's immune to an accident i don't care how good you are how much experience you have how much flight time you think you you know you have that is going to keep you out of trouble it does not matter it's the little things and as you've talked about at the end of our shows john you know, a lot of it comes back down to a pre-flight. And I know that the NTSB is looking at um, Dale's uh, aircraft to see if, in fact, the gust lock may have still been engaged in that airplane. That's a pre-flight item. And uh, I'm hoping that it was something different than that because if if it was a pre-flight type item, then that's going to be a very, very tragic loss over something very simple and, of course, Um, It should be intuitive to every pilot because that's what's ingrained in us when, uh, when we go through pilot training.
1: Yes. And and it's not just finding that on the walk around, where's your flight control check? Yeah. I mean, this, almost everything has a check and balance on it. And these things are not supposed to happen if you follow the procedures, if you're disciplined and follow the procedures. Yeah. So. It's, those are those are the real tragedies, the real the losses that are unnecessary. The real tragedies.
0: What didn't you like about Oshkosh this year? You well,
1: know, I don't know that I had to have a dislike for anything. The weather was perfect. It wasn't too hot. It was bright and sunny with broken clouds every day. But you didn't cook. You, know, you cooked a little bit, but
0: yeah. not like
1: in the past. So in the afternoons it got uh, it got quite warm, but and, you know, 80 to 82, maybe. Uh, that's not too bad. Uh, we discovered a couple of new restaurants.
0: Yes, we Yes we did. Yep. And uh, they are now at the top of my list. Yeah. It's amazing how, uh,
1: I mean, th- those were spectacular restaurants, especially the one out in the middle of acres and acres of miles and miles of corn. And they got this building <laughs> right up. This- <laughs> cornfield that you would drive right by thinking it's a barn or whatever yeah, and, yeah good food
0: wow yeah. the atmosphere was fun the people were very nice and and the food was outstanding and actually they gave you a lot of food so yeah, yeah we were uh we were blessed to have uh, been taken there by a good friend of ours uh, a guy that i work with quite a bit uh in my expert witness work so, uh, you know, thank you, Don, for introducing us to a new restaurant. We really appreciate it. Yep. But same token, that was the that was a restaurant in that city or that little town that two hours, two and a half hours later is where the tornado came through. And uh, we were fortunate to uh, to get out of there just in time before that tornado rolled through that particular area. John. Yep, I know. I know. I watched it on TV didn't get a
1: lot of play elsewhere, but it did show out there.
0: Yeah. Well, they uh, were fortunate. I mean, it was 10 miles north of Oshkosh or 10 miles west of Oshkosh, and uh, and they were very fortunate that it maintained that track because it would have been real ugly if it had gone through Oshkosh.
1: Oh, without a doubt. So the other thing that I really enjoyed immensely was meeting uh, with the people who listen to this podcast. So I, I would suspect it was probably over 200 people that I talked to over the, over those days that we were there at the booth and a few other, because we were walking around with our, with our shirts and hats on, Yeah, but uh, a lot of people come up, talk and a lot of ideas for additional shows. And, uh, probably the the number one item that I picked up on from the folks is that they really want us to do more in-depth investigations of accidents. Yeah, they uh, a lot of people like the the fact that we went through the voice recorders on Lion Air and and uh, gee, senior moment Ethiopian. Yeah, yeah. You know, step by step and what it means to an investigator. Never mind what the what the words mean, and additionally, what do those words mean to an investigator?
0: Yeah,
1: so uh, I think we'll. I got two more in the queue that I pulled out. And not only the voice recorder playback, but the, the tower tape playback and then go through what what the uh, try to determine from the factual. Uh, the docket, yeah. you know, sequence of finds, if you will, yeah. when the structures group found a significant item, what did that mean? And what did that what was the effect of that find on the investigation? Did it turn it left? Did it turn it right? Or uh, did it just do nothing? Yeah. So trying to bring people through the real nuts and bolts of investigation was probably the, the number one item that I heard from our fans.
0: Yeah. And I was I was impressed by some of the uh, the requests as well on accidents that get very little player attention. Um, I was the investigator in charge on a DC-8 that crashed in Rancho Cordova, California. It was an Emory Air Freight airplane. You were involved in that, John, as a board member because it all came down to, you know, basically a 10-inch <laughs> control rod that, uh, that had been inappropriately or improperly installed after some major maintenance. And, um, and that triggered this thought that, you know what, that'll be a great accident to dissect because the CVR... Um, when you just listen to the, the discussion that was going on between the two pilots and the flight engineer initially on takeoff and what they believed the problem was versus what we actually found to be the problem. And of course, the cause of the loss of control, um, I think that'll be a, a, a definitely a, a fun accident to to at least dissect fun in the sense that, you know, there was a lot of good information that came out of this tragic event. And um, it still plays today because um, investigators, as we've talked about in previous shows, you you start to go down a track, but there's always something new every single day that could change the direction of that track. And that's why you can't get lockstepped into taking little factoids and building storylines because you just don't know all the facts, conditions, and circumstances till you've developed them. And every single day you're developing a new fact, which changes the complexion of the investigation. We talked about it in ValueJet when we dissected that accident. Uh, yes,
1: all, all kinds of findings. And there's also a number of things that you uncover that really didn't have anything to do with the accident. But because of the party system and P-A-R-T-Y, uh, <laughs> before you make fun
0: of, You Uh, and your accent, yeah.
1: (laughs) Because of the body system, you have people in there from the manufacturers, from the operator. And if they see uh, something that wasn't quite right, very, very often, 90, high 90 percentage points of the time, they will go back and fix that, even though it had nothing to do with the accident. I saw the USA while I worked there. And in fact, one particular issue, I saw it and... An engineer whose boss just sort of wasn't going to do anything about it, and he made uh, he made so much noise over it that they ended up just doing it because it was the right thing to do. But it was money that they they spent that they really didn't have to. So it's it's uh, the system does work
0: yeah.
1: when we when it's applied properly.
0: And but I will the, apologize to you on the air because I ran into a few people that think that I'm too hard on you when I'm always making fun of you about being older than dirt. And, uh, you know, having been around since the Wright brothers and things like that, they, uh, they think I'm too hard on you, John.
1: Well, wow. You're doing it now on camera. Half an hour ago you were busting them about me being older. Than... <laughs> All right. All show no go. Come on. Yeah. I don't, I Listen, I work midnight shift with some of the best busters in the world. You know, I tell people sometimes I can be, I remember after I I left and came to work for the NTSB at three o'clock in the morning, my cell phone would ring and regardless of where I was, it'd be my friends say, Hey, some so-and-so, what are you doing?
0: Yeah, Yeah. They're
1: up at three o'clock. They want to see if I'm still up at three o'clock. So it's all part of the aviation game.
0: And you know so, that I say it with love and admiration for my co-host. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, I can't say it with a straight face, but you yeah. know that I... <laughs> I can't listen to it with a straight face
1: either. Yeah, I know. And I, you I, know what? Something that, that I did notice that it was unusual. I didn't get to the bottom of it. But you know all the vendors that sell things at, at Oshkosh and that Row and row of place with tents. Yes. That was much smaller this year.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was and, consolidated. And in fact, where NAFI was, the uh, National Association of Flight Instructors, Hartzell was supposed to be in that particular tent. And they basically donated it to uh, to NAFI. Um, so yeah, I agree that the, the presence was a bit consolidated now, of course, you know, the big name vendors were there and grand and glory with uh, with all of their new hardware and of course the, the aircraft and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and some of the, uh, the no names, if you will, uh, Stratus had their new jet out there, which was very impressive. And of course, a number of other vendors and manufacturers were there um, not only with their diamond D you know, was nice. That diamond aircraft is sharp. Yeah. It, uh, I would love to fly that airplane. I think it's very cool. And, uh, and I got a feeling it's going to be a big seller.
1: Yeah, I think so as well. I think so yeah. as well.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I noticed and, uh, I was fortunate, uh, my dad was able to join me this year at the show with us and, um, and we're going to have pictures up on the website. So you'll see some of our, <laughs> our exploits, uh, both myself and John and my dad and, and Todd as well. Uh, we were looking at a lot of airplanes. And uh, one of the things that I noticed, and I don't know if it was just because I didn't speak. I normally do a number of safety presentations there, but the FAA chose not to, uh, to participate as far as opening up the FAA forum building and having... Uh, a cadre of speakers, the energy didn't seem to be there. It was, I mean, it was show, it was fun. You know, there was, uh, you know, uh, a lot of airplanes to look at, but I just didn't feel that big energy pump that I would have expected, especially after having missed last year. Um, But I don't know if that was just me or if that energy level was just muted. I mean, yeah, we drew a lot of people there but it just didn't feel vibrant and, and really cranked up as as I've seen it in the past. My dad explained it and he said, well, that's because you weren't involved as much. And, and because I'm normally talking you know, three and four or five presentations when I'm there and I'm interacting with a lot of people and, and just going all the time. And, and it may have been that I got to actually spend a lot of time <laughs> walking around looking at airplanes and talking to people and hanging with you and Todd and my dad that I'm not usually used to because I'm, I'm working more than I am.
1: Yeah. You spend a lot of time sitting in the flight simulator, learning how to fly again. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of unusual that I got to be able to spend that much time, but I'll tell you what, that was a beautiful flight simulator and you and I are trying to work a deal so we can get it so that uh, we can make it part of the show because we want to do some uh, recreations and and reconstruction work of some of the accidents that we're dissecting. So we can pull this off. Then we'll be able to give our, uh, our viewers slash listeners uh, some blow by blow that they can actually watch uh, the profiles and see how, what the pilots may have been doing when they're flying and uh, right before the accident. So I think that would be a great enhancement to our show. So I expect you to use your extraordinary um, negotiating skills to pull that off, John. Of course, if I do that, then you, you're going to want me to put it in Denver. Why? Yes, I will. And you're going to have to come out here on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I did. Uh, you did fly that one accident sequence with that uh, with the airplane. I forgot what flight it was, but uh, I think it would be a wonderful tool for the for the uh, YouTube section of this, where you can show uh, the guy came in and he overshot. Yeah. Trying to trying to recover the bad situation when he should have went around, and it, it you can really see it. I stood behind you when you were flying those, and uh, it was it was jump right out at you yeah. what are you doing? Why? Right? what are you trying to recover this phone for yeah
0: you know especially and, when you got that airplane cranked up you know 45 50 degrees on short final and you're trying to get it back to the runway um you're right on the edge and and you lose it you you have no margin for recovery none whatsoever you are going to hit the ground
1: yeah and many of those those accidents are in less than perfect weather you were flying them in perfect weather yeah for, Throw in some low clouds or, or even bad weather, real bad weather. And, uh, and the outcome is pretty certain. Yep,
0: And outcome. I think the simulator showed that very well. And that's why I think that it would be a great addition. So uh, like I said, I'm making room in my office right now. So I expect it here shortly.
1: And we're going to put it right underneath that. We're going to take the couch out and put it right there.
0: You got it. Absolutely.
1: I think we should put it on, on, uh, on my view of you on your right, my y'all left my right so that you can look out the window to
0: see the sky. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We'll add some realism to it. So, yeah. But you know, that, that was one of my perceptions. Of course, the other was, uh, that I got to see, uh, of course, Sky King, which I don't know a lot of our listeners who are younger, um, may have no clue who Sky King was but it was a TV show that was very popular and you know aviation centric and uh that that airplane was there it had been restored and beautiful airplane the songbird is what uh, it was nicknamed so for those of you who have no idea about Sky King just the just about every show i think is on youtube because that's where i've been watching them uh but if you get a chance watch it um, it is pretty funny because the actor who, uh, who played Sky King is actually a pilot. But there was some funny things. And uh, a friend of mine, Dave Straley, who's a, a meteorologist and weather expert, um, he's used clips out of, out of uh, Sky King to emphasize some points about aeronautical decision making and flying through weather. And there's one where Sky King is flying with his, uh, with his niece, And they go blasting into, you know, the top of a thunderstorm and it gets real dark in the cockpit and he's narrating and Penny is scared and he's telling her it's going to be okay and the airplane's getting bounced around and there's lightning flashes and everything else. And, you know, he's, you know, Mr. Cool, calm and collected is he always wore a a cowboy type hat and that thing never came off his head. And they're getting banged around and then boom, they pop out the other side and it's a beautiful sunny day and he goes see that wasn't so bad. Well, that is not a lesson that you want to teach pilots is to go blasting through thunderstorms like that, because you are not coming out the other side, uh, at least in one piece if you try to do that so, um, but it is it was a fun show and and there was uh, of course a lot of flying in it. So that's why as a kid that, uh, that picked up my interest, but that airplane was there. But one of the other airplanes that uh, I got to see is an airplane that for those people that are familiar with uh, the Colorado area, there's a guy named JW Duff who had a big boneyard out here. That is, he had an aircraft salvage yard and a lot of the accidents that I worked over the years ended up in his salvage yard. And, uh, and Duffer had uh, just a ton of old airplanes, you know, whether they were crashed or just junk, they were in his boneyard. And he, uh, he came across this uh, Aero Commander 500, and um, he started researching it and found out that it had been in the Air Force uh, fleet. So he did a little more research and come to find out it was actually President Eisenhower's Air Force One when he flew from downtown D.C., the White House, to his farm in Gettysburg. So Duff spent a lot of money, had it reconditioned, had it rebuilt, refurbished, and flew it. They had it flown from Denver out to uh, Dayton, Ohio, where it was sitting in the Air Force Museum out there. Well, that airplane was at Oshkosh this year, and it was great to see that. And I'll post a picture of it uh, up on the website as well. But it was fun to see that airplane because uh, I, I knew the history of it. But a lot of people didn't know that Eisenhower had that farm up in Gettysburg. And rather than drive the 65 miles, he, uh, he would have, uh, have the Air Force fly him up there and land on his farm up there. And it's, it's coincident because, of course, Camp David isn't that far away from Gettysburg where the president goes for their presidential retreat up at Camp David, and they fly the helicopters up there rather than drive. So that was fun to see that airplane. And of course, the, uh, the magnificence and the money that is spent to restore some of these old, one-of-a-kind type airplanes. I mean, I just marvel over the craftsmanship that's gone uh, into the restoration of these airplanes. It's just unbelievable. And I think the the biggest highlight was the last day I was there was going down, of course, like you were talking about, John, and seeing the warbirds. And of course, you know, we're losing some of these warbirds. There aren't many, you know, left as a total fleet, whether it's a B-25, B-24, A-26s, or the course, the B-36, B-17s and those kinds of airplanes. Um, there was a definitely a good assortment of P-51s and Spitfires and, and those kinds of airplanes. They're always beautiful to see because those are real flying machines. It's one thing to see an F-18. But when you look at these airplanes, that's those are real flying machines. And the, the, the pilots that flew those aircraft um, really were uh, top-notch aviators to be able to do what they did um, to defend this country with those airplanes.
1: Without a doubt. I mean, they're small, they're agile, but uh, it doesn't take much turbulence to bounce them all over the sky. Yeah. And and most of us forget now because we've got so much dependability built into our engines, uh, oftentimes because of the lubrication that we used. Compared to what they had back then with natural oils, uh, longevity of engines has skyrocketed since the '40s. And uh, those airplanes, uh, single-engine fighters, uh, I read that there was more uh, British airplanes that were downed because of engine problems than were downed by the Germans. Mm. Uh, the Battle of Britain, yeah. the Battle. So that's that's uh, a very telling uh, statistic.
0: Well, I was I happy if- to see it. I mean, that is an interesting statistic, but, uh, you know, it, it is definitely, you get down there, you can't help but have this euphoric type of feeling of, you know, listening to those engines and when they fire up and, and watching the performance of those airplanes, you know, the sense of pride that is there. That is That's the biggest thing, I think um is when when you're at an air show like that and you see the warbirds and you see the dedication of the guys who maintain them and of course fly them um there is and even even the modern military because my nephew is in the air force and i was just up at dover Delaware, um, seeing, uh, his innovation technology lab up there. Cause that's where, that's the part that he's working. He, he works avionics on the uh, C-5s and C-17s, but, uh, they also have an innovation lab. And when you, you know, you go to a military base or of course you're at Oshkosh and you see those military aircraft, you have to have the greatest sense of pride. One, to be living in these United States to the craftsmanship and, of course, the engineering that have gone into these airplanes that sometimes is overlooked and just the accomplishments, the evolution of how far we came and have come in a very short period of time and with the technology that we have. So it uh, that is, that's really what the air show does for me, especially when uh, you see the aircraft and, of course, watch them fly. So that begs the question,
1: what's it going to be like 10, 15 years from now when all the all the aviation exciting things in aviation are going to be in outer space? I mean, look at what what Elon has done in a short period of time that he decided that the Russians wanted too much money to launch a, a rocket and never mind what the cost would have been here in the United States. Yeah. And he's got his launches down to like a million dollars. Yeah. And and they're coming down even further. Cause he's got a self-imposed, I, I read this recently, a self-imposed uh 10 launches per rocket, and then he puts them down. Yeah. But now they're talking about extending that to 20. If they extend yeah. that to 20. The cost of putting stuff in orbit is gonna come tumbling down like crazy. And uh, we now really have a space race because we got China, India, we got all kinds of people looking to launch their own rockets up into low, at least low Earth orbit. It's getting quite crowded up there.
0: Yeah, it is pretty interesting. And and of course, that space race, while we, yeah, we look at it, the United States against the rest of the world, if you will. But we also have a space race here in the United States between, you know, the three rich guys, Bezos, Musk, and of course, uh, Virgin Galactic and uh, Sir Richard. So um, it is entertaining to watch. It is interesting to see now, of course, you know, there's always the, the good side and what it's doing for, of course, increasing our presence back in space and, and going just beyond the earth, if you will. But, of course, there's a lot of criticism that goes with it because for the money that these guys are spending and, and being paid uh, to put, you know, civilians in space. Of course, we got a lot of problems down here on Earth with uh, with hunger, poverty and a variety of other things. And people are going, well, if you can spend a billion dollars to do that kind of stuff, why can't you spend a billion dollars to help clean up, you know, hunger and poverty and everything else just here in the United States, let alone the rest of the world?
1: Yeah, but a lot of those guys give away an awful lot of money every year that quietly. And, uh, you know, if you look at uh, Microsoft, how much money he's given away. Yeah. and and Buffett too. They're going to yeah. give away all their money. They're on track to give away all their money.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but I mean, it it is exciting. It's it's ramped up that excitement again. I, I remember the Apollo program and the Gemini programs, and um, and of course, uh, we got to see our good friend uh, Wally Funk get launched into uh, into space. So, I'm very happy that. Yes, she had that opportunity and these opportunities for being in space, even by younger people and, and not necessarily, you know, the military guys who have converted to astronauts. Yes, it's opened up the door. And I think, you know, young minds create, uh, you know, more possibilities. So I'm, I'm definitely looking for that. The only problem at an air show like Oshkosh is trying to get somebody to do a flyby in a rocket i doubt Man. that's going to happen john <laughs>
1: no, that, i doubt if that happens as well
0: maybe they'll be re- a night maybe they'll have a night show where everybody sits outside and you know waits for the uh waits for the rocket to fly over in low orbit <laughs> who knows
1: i was i was hoping that wally was going to be at uh yeah. She's there every year
0: uh
1: but she did not attend this year
0: yeah so but I'm glad Oshkosh uh, has come back. I'm looking forward to next year. And, uh, and I'm happy that uh, they had great attendance. And, and again, the one, the one really positive thing that I loved about that show is that this year, any, any uh, young person under the age of 18 was admitted free. I thought that was outstanding to draw more young people into the show, because in years past, it's a very kind of stoic. There's a certain age demographic. And I always preach when I'm doing my safety presentations that I encourage people to bring a young person to some sort of aviation event to get them exposed. And I was happy to see that people, young people under the age of 18, were admitted into the show free. And I did see a a large increase in younger people at the show.
1: There were a lot of young people. Yeah. Yeah. So I took up I took residency near the Ford tent for about an hour and just just watching the world go by. And there were a substantial number of young people flocking towards the flight line. Yeah. So, yes, that, that is encouraging. Yeah. Give, given that the, we have such a shortage of pilots, mechanics, and dispatchers, and just about everybody in aviation. Yeah. You know, before we before we get off, I've forgotten this a couple of times. Uh, you know, we we did a, uh, a program a while ago on the the 737 that went into the water off Hawaii. Yeah. And I know that uh, I got a good chuckle out of one of our our listeners who claims to be an accident investigator who was blaming you for a comment about uh uh, jet fuel versus gasoline. Yeah, And I made that comment and I misspoke. So, uh, I was, uh, I, he's finally sent me the, uh, an email and, uh, he figured out that it was me, not you, that, that had said it. So he must've gone back and listened to it again, missed it the first time. Cause he probably was distracted or something, but in any event he come back and he's right. I did misspeak. I said gasoline burns hotter than kerosene, and it doesn't. When you look up at the the, the charts uh, per unit, and I forget what the unit is uh, of gasoline, it puts out 124,000 something uh, BTUs, British yeah. term. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and kerosene puts out 139, I think it is. So, but that conversation that I had. On the show occurred. I just got off the phone with an engineer, actually two engineers from Boeing, from uh, Pratt and Whitney, and we had an hour and a half long discussion about gasoline and the JT18. Not just a turbine engine.
0: Yeah, because
1: turbine engines will burn almost anything. They'll burn peanut oil. They'll burn McDonald's French fries oil. Yeah, doesn't matter. But they don't do it very well. Yep. And it's problems. Many, many of the turbine engines are certified to use gasoline in a pinch, uh, but not the JTAD. Yep. And the way they explained it to me is the problem is not running gasoline in that engine. The problem is the additives that are in gasoline because the JTAD runs very hot. And actually the temperature in the turbine section is hot enough to melt the metal that makes the turbine blades. So the way they get around that is there's cooling air, which is still pretty damn hot. Yeah. The cooling goes through the fam- those turbine blades and there's a tiny little holes in them to allow the air to pass through and, and pass out and carry away the heat. And that's where the problem comes from because of the uh, gasoline with all the additives in it, the lead in particular, uh, will clog those little holes up very quickly and they said the engine has not much life to it if you put gasoline in the engine. Yeah. The other piece that was explained to me when I went back to them and about the temperature that was raised and uh, one of the things that they said is that under the, the way the airline engines are assembled the particular JTADs on these airplanes with a mechanical fuel pump and yeah. mechanical Uh, fuel control, gasoline eats both of those up. But uh, in addition, he said, you're gonna set your engine power by EPR. And that's engine pressure ratio. And that means that you're gonna push the power lever further forward than than it would be with kerosene because of the difference in thermal energy. And that means you're dumping more gasoline into the engine which in turn is going to raise the temperature inside the turbine area. Yeah. All right. So it's uh, it's not as simple as saying gasoline burns cooler than, than kerosene, a very complicated equation. And as I said, before the show, I had about an hour and a half conversation. After the show, when I raised that issue some weeks later with them about the gasoline and Man, I got an earful. I was so deep into turbine engines and (laughs) fuel control that I I just—I was sorry I asked the question because these guys, one guy in particular, he just did a dump on me. You know, work right through the system from the beginning to the end. And how he said, "What kind of fuel was it? Hundred low lead? Uh, Certain problems? Was it? Was it? Did have E eighty five in it? Even a bigger problem?"
0: Yeah.
1: So he went through a litany of all those. And the bottom line is that's the reason why the JTAD is not certified to burn any alternative fuel because the way the the engine is built.
0: Yeah. And and that was, I think, our discussion. We didn't really get into in-depth discussion about it, but, um, you know, Pratt & Whitney does produce the PT-6, which is a very popular engine on turboprop aircraft. And it is type certificated to burn 100 low lead, even though it normally burns jet A. It can under emergency circumstances is the way it's specified in the type certificate data that it can burn 100 low lead. And then it can only burn it for a certain period of time before, of course, an inspection is required and and part replacement at about 150 hours. But I think the point that we were both making was one, That is something that the NTSB would be looking at to try and determine one, why the engine failed and why the second engine was burning so hot, was running so hot. Of course, it could have been fuel related. It could have been mechanically related. That is, they were doing some maintenance on those engines that if they hone those blades a little too much or uh, improperly or whatever, you're gonna have, of course, uh, uh, engine problems and you may not be producing full thrust. And with the, the engines running at max blast, you can over temp the engines and a variety of other things. And those were the points that we were trying to make is some of the areas that the board needed to explore in its investigation of why one engine would fail at 400 feet and the other one was running hot, but wasn't able to sustain or at least produce enough power to sustain level flight for the that flight crew to get the airplane back to the uh, to the airport. So, um, you know, we always appreciate our listeners, and of course, we always appreciate, you know, a, uh, a discussion. You know, correction is fine. I mean, you and I, we we deal in a lot of different issues, and and of course, you know, uh, I won't say that we're never wrong, uh, but you know, we're pretty much always right because we have a lot of factual information. So, we appreciate that uh, that that discussion, and of course, the clarification. So. Uh, again, it's, it's for our listeners and, of course, viewers to really understand what the areas of investigation the board would be looking at in one or more particular accidents and, of course, looking back um, with, uh, with whether or not this was a trend. And as you and I talked about, the FAA did shut that airline down for uh, a variety of different reasons, including some serious concerns about substandard. Uh, maintenance that's been going on for quite a long time.
1: Yeah, that's a tough business to make money in. And uh, you, you've got to squeeze it out of something.
0: Yeah, well, you know? it, it is. And, and I know that you and I will be talking about this accident once more factual information uh, becomes available. Hopefully, uh, they'll have recovered the cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder and possibly even the engines to take a look at them to see exactly what may have been going on. Uh, but till then, I guess all we can do is, uh, is, you know, work with what we have. So we've run out of time, John. And, um, okay. and I know that, uh, you're always, you're in your secret location in the Western part of Massachusetts. We won't divulge your actual location, but we see you, that you're in your time capsule called your vehicle. <laughs> Called your car. <laughs>
1: so. I, had, I had to drive around till I found a good signal <laughs> uh, here, you know, unless you're on the top of a hill uh, near the major highways, you don't have any signals at all. Yeah. So you, you lose cell coverage all the time. So I had to drive around until I found uh, four bars. It bounces between three and four bars and I just stopped and that's where I am.
0: Well, we're glad that you were in your mobile uh, recording studio and able to, uh, to provide us with uh, that gorgeous picture out the back window, which is basically the abyss and out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> from what I can see. So um, it's always it's always good that uh, you are at least being able to, uh, to participate visually.
1: So. Yeah, but I think I'm on the edge of a state forest because I see a lot of of out-of-state cars go by.
0: Well, that's good. I can't wait to see what kind of bugs and animals will pop up in in that back window. (laughs)
1: Oh, I was going to do this outside, and I set up to do it outside of the truck, and then I fed, I think, a thousand mosquitoes just getting ready. (laughs) This isn't going to work, so I retreated to inside the cab, and I've been watching them from time to time hover all around the window, Looking inside, saying, hey God, it's a big meal.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, again, we want to thank uh, our sponsor, Abemco. Uh, it was great to uh, to hang out at Oshkosh. We hope to do more of these in person type shows and uh, the meet and greets because uh, we do want to meet you, the listeners and our viewers. But we also want to hear from you as well. So you can always contact us via our, our email at Crash Detect. I'm sorry, that's my email. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you come back off of, you know, two weeks of traveling and I'm leaving again. You can always get a hold of John and I at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. Uh Give us your good, your bad, your suggestions, uh, of course, what you like, don't like about the show. Um, Again, we've had a number of uh, positive and and negative comments and, you know, we'll address them. We don't have a problem. And if there's corrections to be made, we'll be happy to, uh, to research it and and make those corrections if a correction is warranted. Um, But again, this show is about you trying to give you an inside look, and of course, the behind scenes uh, look at what's going on in aviation, aviation safety, and of course, accident investigation. So uh, again, we appreciate Avemco sponsoring our show, as well as PAMA, the Professional uh, Aircraft uh, Mechanics Association. So uh, those are our two primary sponsors. John and I uh, have introduced uh, some new, uh, (laughs) we got some new merch um, that is uh, the hat that I'm wearing. I've redesigned uh, our logo, so uh, the hats will be available. We also have shirts, and we're going to put together a, an assortment of merchandise for, uh, for you if you're interested. We'll be putting that up on the website so that uh, you can promote the show and, and show that you are a listener to the Flight Safety Detectives uh, podcast and, of course, uh, YouTube channel. So, again, thank you for, for all of that. John, I'll let you uh, do the uh, dues to, uh, to talk about how to get a hold of the Vemco. But as I always do with you, I will also leave you with the last words. Except
1: when you want to add to it. But That's anyway, right. if you're out there and you got an airplane and you need to renew your insurance, or you are going to buy an airplane, which is a lot of bu- airplanes being transferred right now? Give a Vemco a call, 888 879 0389. Get a 5% discount for listening to the show. And please, if you're going to go fly, please do an adequate pre-planning session and then do a very thorough pre-flight before you leave and maintain your operational discipline. And please, please
0: fly safe.